Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. Patience is something that I work on every day. And that's not only patience with the other person, that's patience with myself. To not be so sure and to not be so quick and to not be so right and uh, allow something to unfold. So Sandra, it is great to be back with you again in season five. Season five, Elder Wisdom on Zoom. Yes. It's been, it's been uh, much more intimate than I imagined, Chris. Yeah, I'm really grateful. Yeah. Um, this season on Elder Wisdom, we've, we have some fine folks uh, sharing their wisdom from uh, reflecting on their lived experiences. Uh, and it's just fabulous. And people are bringing in their Enneagram type and the mm -hmm. strengths of that and how it tripped them up. So uh, yes, good season. Yeah. So our exemplar today is uh, our, our friend and a colleague, Cheryl Cohen. And Cheryl is a licensed clinical psychologist uh, in her 37th year in private practice in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it, it was in Cincinnati that uh, Cheryl was first introduced to the Enneagram when Helen Palmer, uh, who's one of the founders of the Narrative Enneagram, along with David Daniels, uh, first started teaching there in the 1990s. And Cincinnati became then a hub for all kinds of folks to learn the Enneagram, and Cheryl has enjoyed referrals from them for many years. Uh, she's the very first person to uh, be certified uh, in the Narrative Enneagram as a uh, in the professional track, and that happened in 2015. And she served on the first board of what was called the Enneagram Studies in the Narrative Tradition, and then became president of the um, new merged organization called the Narrative Enneagram. Uh, Cheryl's been around in Enneagram circles for a long time. Uh, her, in, her clinical interests include grief, loss and bereavement, couples therapy, uh, and clinical consultation for other psychotherapists using the Enneagram in their work. And Cheryl is a member of the Bergamo Learning Community, which is a place where folks have been gathering for many years, uh, twice a year, uh, to go deeper in their learning with the Enneagram. So Cheryl, we wanna uh, welcome you and say thanks for being a guest on Heart of the Enneagram. Thank you. Yes, thanks Cheryl. So before we begin at the interview process and conversation, I'd like to invite the three of us and our listeners into just a brief presence practice. So let's all take a couple deep breaths, find our feet on the floor or ground. Notice your emotional state, we're always in one, just notice and welcome it. And for a moment, simply be where your hands are, sensing into your body and your hands. And may we listen to the information offered with a grounded presence, an open heart, and a curious mind. Thanks, Sandra. 
So Cheryl, uh, I want to begin by um, asking when you were first learning the Enneagram and you talked about that happening in the 1990s, um, what were your first clues that you lead with type eight? How did you know? I was uh, walking in a park in Cincinnati with the presenter uh, and we had, I don't know, this might have been the last day of the workshop and I'm not sure how he went around, but we, I guess we were going to finish with the body types and I was really, I didn't have a clue. I thought, eh, maybe a six. And then he asked me, well, you know, do you have areas in which you have excess? Hmm. And I said, ah, gee, I don't know. I don't think so. And then two colleagues who were walking with us said, what are you kidding? <laughs> Look at how much you work. You work to beat the band. Hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. So that was actually my very first clue. Hmm. I... Um, uh, it was, there are, you know, six and eights have some things in common and, uh, both of them can be strident mm. and have a big mouth. <laughs> so, uh, until we had gotten really to unpack the eight and the presenter to talk about the characteristics of an eight, I was thinking maybe six. Mm -hmm. I've got fear, but that's not where I live. Anger is, uh, Anger is the easiest for me to access, which mm -hmm. turns out to be both the good and bad news. Sure, sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear the good news of that, Cheryl. It's, it's rarely spoken about um, the benefits and advantages of uh, the capacity to feel one's anger. Could you? Well, you know, angers, we all have angers. Actually, one of my pet peeves in uh, Enneagram gatherings is people who um, have a, not the deepest understanding of each of the points will say, oh, you're angry. You must be an eight. Uh, and let's face it, all of us have anger. It's built into the system. Actually, all mammals have anger. So mm -hmm. it's not even particularly human. Anger helps you know when somebody's crossed your line. It helps you know when something's amiss, it helps you create a boundary mm -hmm. interpersonally. So I work with um, a lot of women who, for a variety of not just individual psychological, but societal, sociological reasons, uh, don't, can't allow their anger in the beginning of our work together. Right. And I'm a helpful person in that regard. It, it is uh, easy for, though eights don't like conflict, I would say, nobody does, mm -hmm. but we can be in it um, and actually be a ground wire if the anger is between other people. So, yeah. I remember, you remember David Daniels saying, you know, anger just tells us something's important to us. Yeah, right. You care. That's right. I love Cheryl, the image of you um, being holding a space for others to be able to access and express their anger and inviting that. Because of course, I mean, I think this is true for you. I know you that, you know, it doesn't, 
doesn't intimidate you or overwhelm you for someone to express their anger necessarily, particularly in that context. And so being able to mm -hmm. offer that space for others is quite a gift. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only, uh, I don't, aid is not the only point that can tolerate a fair amount of intensity. Sure. That's right. Um, as you know, Chris, it turns out to be a very uh, helpful characteristic uh, when, you're a, when you're a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. Or really, anytime, <laughs> whenever you're relating to somebody else. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned psychotherapy and you're, you've been a clinical psychologist for many years now. Um, and I know you learned the Enneagram, maybe not at the beginning of your journey, but I'm curious, like, is, are there ways in which your knowledge or exposure to the Enneagram has impacted your vocational journey, your understanding of yourself or the work you do or how you do it? Uh, yes to all of the above. <laughs> uh, it was relatively early in my career when I first was exposed to the Enneagram. It's turned out to be well, it's a wonderful framework in which to organize your, your thinking about other people. In my training, I learned how to diagnose, which is based on a medical model and is based on pathology, on what's going wrong, what's not adaptive. The Enneagram is so much more inclusive it includes strengths, not just weaknesses or liabilities. And it includes a path for growth. Mm. So while I would say uh, a good many people enter psychotherapy because they're having a crisis or literally something is going wrong, it's been great when we get past that crisis to invite people into doing the deeper work of personal growth. Mm. And the Enneagram has been invaluable in that. Cheryl, can you share with us um, some of those paths for growth for you personally as one who leads with type eight? whether it's practices or paths? Uh, sure. Well, I'll share with you something that an early supervisor told me. We were doing one-way mirror therapy. So I was in the room with a family and the other interns and the supervisor were behind a one-way mirror and they would call in in the middle of the session and tell you don't do this this is wrong do that oh <laughs> wow it was it was pretty intimidating <laughs> but uh, it would it's it's was terrific learning really for all of us and very bonding because everybody was in that room and everybody got feedback mm. so uh one of the things that i remember this fellow saying to me is he called in and he said, Cheryl, put your butt on the back of the chair. So eights have a lot of energy. They have a lot of forward energy. 
the other way I know that I am an eight is that when I start to get uh, activated, I feel like there's this locomotive coming out of my chest mm. and I go forward. And I, if you could see me now, you know, I could be pointing my finger. I could be wanting to get through to you and invading your personal space. So as a young eight therapist, that uh, turned out to be very good advice mm. for me to learn how to deal with my own big energy, which could be very overwhelming for clients. Mm -hmm. So that was a very good that was a very good learning and I continue to use it to this very day. This same guy said, you know, there are some people who have 10 years of experience and then there are other people who have one year of experience for 10 years. Mm. I'm hoping I, I am in the former group, but I always feel like I'm learning and there's particular things about my type that because you're a therapist and because you're in a very intimate exchange, if it's going right, if you have a good alliance with your client, that it calls things forth from you for introspection. So I still occasionally, my butt is not on the back of the chair. I, I tease that uh, being a psychotherapist is the best place for personal growth because you get to work on yourself for however many sessions you have a day. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the body can certainly lead us in transforming. And of course, any transformational work has to include the body. So I've always envisioned Velcro between my shoulder blades and just put my back uh -huh. against the chair. So I'm right with you, my sister mm -hmm. eight. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Other, other practices um, that have been helpful to you, whether yeah, well, this, in, in the office or in the home? Yeah, this is going to sound um, maybe a little unusual. I've been a swimmer for many years, almost as many years as I've, I've been a therapist. And I use that as a moving meditation practice. Mm -hmm. During this time when the pool has been shut down, uh, I have really missed that. I've had to use other things, but for me being able to move and focus on my breath, and I got this wonderful device where uh, it's a swimmer snorkel, so I'm completely immersed in the water. So I am literally entering into another world mm. and all I'm doing is listening to myself breathe. Mm. So that's turned out uh, not only to be good cardiovascular, but good for my heart and brain and body all at once. When you were talking about leaning forward and, and Sandra, you shared the idea of the Velcro. My, my curiosity is like, what's it like to lean back for you? What's that like? Oftentimes the forward energy for me, both as a therapist, as well as in my personal relationships is masking or covering up a sense of powerlessness. Mm. And that's my road into my vulnerability. So as you know, the idealization of I am strong and the avoidance of 
your own vulnerability is part of the protection of the eight personality type. And for me, often, I'm in touch more with my vulnerability and almost always there's a bit of powerlessness that I have to confront mm. about my failure to get through to the other person, of uh, just the difficulty of the situation that we're in. That is, nobody likes powerlessness, but I, I have a lot of compassion for other eights because I think that's the toughest one for the type to confront. You know, Cheryl, I wonder uh, when you sit back, do you find that you're remembering yourself more or that you feel more present? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the emotions I've learned over many years end up being a pathway to not just neutrality, but to essence, really, to the spiritual domain, mm -hmm. where your view is broader and you feel more connected, not just to yourself, but to the other. And the most difficult center for me to open has been my heart center. Mm. And that's the best path I know. I'd like to tell you that I can access my joy easily, but it's really my, my personal path has been through my pain as a way to open up my heart. You know, as a heart type, as you described that, I mean, I feel some of that in my heart space, um, the kind of, well, it feels really, really beautiful and powerful uh, as you shared that. So I just want to appreciate that. Um, and you mentioned the word uh, in terms of, of spirit essence and, and sort of the spiritual realm. And so it makes me wonder, um, how has the Enneagram impacted uh, your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, your understanding yourself uh, as a spiritual person? And that might be within a formal tradition or not, uh, but I'm curious about that. Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in the intersection between the psychological and the spiritual I grew up in a semi-observant Jewish home. My experience of Judaism was not at all spiritual. It was more ethical. I see, at least the way I was taught, is it being a much more head-centered kind of enterprise. And in college, I became very interested in other traditions and read a lot. And I came upon a guy named Ken Wilbur who had the most exquisite, sometimes dense, but great model about showing about how psychological development does intersect with spiritual development. Mm -hmm. And then I found the Enneagram, which addressed that intersection and also provided method. So there's been nothing else that I've found better than being a student of the theory and practice 
of Enneagram knowledge to help develop your sense of self as well as your connection to whatever you know to be greater. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I guess that's part of my reputation and practice in Cincinnati is people know that I'm interested in both of those. Well, it certainly is a powerful psycho-spiritual model. Uh, you just articulated that really well. Thank you, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, um, as you say that, Cheryl, like for you, leading with eight, what's what's the sort of spiritual um, trajectory or path or gr- growth? What's that looked like for you as you think about that? My experience of innocence I kind of think about that as like beginner's mind. So literally when I have my butt on the back of the chair and I'm accessing my heart and I have a somatic sense of my centers being lined up, I am really entering a different world and it uh, looks different and I'm able to make connections and see things that I certainly don't have the capacity to do when I'm in my type behavior. I like the kind of practices that I have. I like having a variety of method. Um, I'll tell you what's been true really the past several months during the shutdown is I've come to really love poetry. And I've gotten some gifts of poetry books, but I've never really appreciated them like I have in the last numerous months as, a, as an access to my heart. And uh, good poetry can be very transporting. Mm-hmm. So I guess I could say I'm open to finding new method that helps me hook up with what's greater. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, you know, my sense of, um, my best sense of spirituality, I guess I connect with Martin Buber, where he talks about an I-thou relationship and I'm there in my own nakedness and you're there in yours and we meet and we create something new. That's part of the reason why I love uh, being a therapist is in a good session. There can be moments like that, even though somebody has the role of a client and somebody has the role of the therapist. Mm -hmm. And certainly with good friends and certainly all the time at the uh, Narrative Enneagram learning community when we're spending three days together. There's a sweet innocence and connection that can happen between people that's very precious to me. Cheryl, is it is it easier for you to access your innocence? Um, in some arenas than others, uh, like as a therapist, is it easier to yes. access it there? And why, yes. would that, why would that be? 
Well, you know, the defensive structure of the eight kind of prevents that. <laughs> so the, you know, the, not that other people don't have denial, but it's kind of the eight specialty. And part of that denial at its bedrock is a denial of my own vulnerability. So if I'm in type and I'm trying to make something happen, I'm trying to fix something, I'm trying to get through, then I'm not in any way near my innocence. I'm in my type. It's not that it's totally useless. I like being able to make things happen when that's appropriate. And when it's not, surrender is <laughs> much more appropriate. <laughs> Although, like good scotch, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> you know, I remember David Daniels uh, teasing me one day and saying, Sandra, why, why is it so easy for you to be vulnerable when you're leading and not so much when you're in the chair as a student? Huh. And that was a big insight for me. And so I find when I sit with clients that innocence, uh, mm -hmm. I, can, I can move into that because uh -huh. it's a tr for me, it's a trusting space for the most yes. part. Yes. And that seems to be a prerequisite for uh, my, little, my little innocence to come forward. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I suppose in some ways when I'm in my therapist role that offers me some not only do I feel responsible for helping to facilitate creating that space, but it also offers me a little protection mm. um, right. that I don't have in just you know, talking with people every day. Mm -hmm. I'm a social subtype and I have groups of uh, friends who I feel very loyal to mm -hmm. and I'm there for and they're there for me. One of the questions that we often will ask in this series, Cheryl, is, is, is there a particular pattern that's been more nasty than others? It's just kind of <laughs> continually tripped you up over the years. And, and if you can identify mm -hmm. one, how have you worked with it for your own growth? Well, there's quite a few that have been difficult. Let me see whether I can pick one. Take, uh, take your favorite. <laughs> uh, I would say, this is truer for me when I was younger, but I can be very quick to have an opinion and I am very definite and I am right. <laughs> So there's not much openness there and there's not much receptivity there. And it's much more likely to happen when I get activated about whatever the topic is and go figure. I'm not always right. And learning how to not so fast, <laughs> let's listen to the other person mm -hmm. because they might really have something to offer. Uh, patience is something that I work on every day. And that's not only patience with the other person, that's patience with myself. 
to not be so sure and to not be so quick and to not be so right and uh, allow something to unfold. Nice. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a way you're kind to yourself, actually. Yes, it turns out to be. I never really thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Uh, it does turn out to be a mm -hmm. kindness to myself, not just to the other person. I'd be more likely to do it because it was kind to the other person. Mm -hmm. But being kind to yourself is as, if not more important, mm -hmm. right? All right. begins at home. Right. That's right, yeah. Uh, so Cheryl, um, I'm a curiosity about what's bedrock for you? What's, you know, in difficult times and challenging times, um, what, what's foundational? What do you draw on? Well, I think about that in two different ways. In terms of internal resources, being able to come home to myself in whatever way, whether that's swimming in the pool, doing sitting meditation, uh, more recently reading poetry, that helps me get back with myself rather than feeling distracted by the news, by external events. And in terms of an external resource, one of the words for the social eight subtype is friendship. Mm. And uh, I really believe that saying that friends are family you choose for yourself. And I've chosen, I'm happy to say, very well. Mm. So being able to connect on a deeper level, to let myself not have a good day, and to be able to whine a little bit with friends <laughs> uh, is very reassuring. Mm -hmm. It's a great source of comfort for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Connection. Connection, right. Foundational. Connection yeah. with myself, connection with other So Cheryl, uh, if you had an hour to spend with your 25-year-old self, uh, given where you are at this point in your life, what, what would you say to her? What would you offer? I would, I would say to her, hey, honey, put your butt on the back of the chair. <laughs> that, was, that was really such a gift. Uh, but I, I would actually tell her, you know, not, not so fast. Take your time. Uh, I would tell her, uh, as I tell myself even now, trust the process. There's uh, something greater at work. And you can tap into it in a way that I certainly didn't know in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, with the eight world view, the world is a, a jungle and not to be trusted and crushes the weak. To really trust the unfolding um, is, is one of the places of growth for this type. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I've often been selected for leadership. It's not always something I've volunteered for. Uh, Chris has been a witness to that on the narrative Enneagram board. 
And I'll tell you that in terms of that leadership experience, that was really transformative for me about working with like-minded people, almost all of whom were really good campers and really good workers. And I didn't have to make sure it all happened. I could participate and I could facilitate without having to use that kind of force. Mm -hmm. Here's the other thing I would say to the 25-year-old. That power, which I've wrestled with what that means for me mm, all of my adult life, power is not so much power over or being powerful it's much more about being empowered mm. and that you get from receptivity not that there's anything wrong with making things happen but that's only a small part of what personal power can be for me as an eight mm -hmm. uh, and i enjoy helping other people feel empowered and I now have come to learn that my, in my vulnerability, there is strength, mm -hmm. which I certainly didn't know in my 20s. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sounds a little paradoxical. And that's it's why, true. That's why it is true. <laughs> exactly. That's why it is true. That bo the both and of truth. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know, um, Cheryl, you mentioned this word, and we talk about this a bit in in Enneagram circles, this idea of receptivity. And I'm imagining some listeners who are like, I don't quite know what that means, or what what is that exactly, or how does one do that? Um, and I'm curious if you might be willing to, for your own self, what that's, what that's been like, or sure. what that is. Well, the first thing that comes to mind with that is Helen's phrase, go in and down. And when you go in and down and you get with yourself and you can quiet yourself down, you afford yourself a different kind of vision. You can see what's going on with you. You can see what's going on in your circumstances. You can see what's going on with other people. And so that invites a different kind of presence than being concerned with how am I coming across? How am I doing? You know, all those <laughs> occupations <laughs> that are, you know, certainly relevant when you're 20s that are much less relevant for me now. So I'm less concerned about how I'm, how I'm doing with how I'm connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that receptivity is a deepening of presence. Yes. And we have to be present in order to then go receptive. And okay. in doing that, yes. it's a mm -hmm. deepening, right. And so it's an allowing, mm -hmm. a receiving and allowing. Yeah. Allowing, yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, like you said. Yeah, <laughs> you said it better than me. <laughs> So it's interesting because it's not particularly passive. It's actually a very 
active process mm -hmm. to take your seat and be open to what's next. Yeah. At this time in your life, uh, moving into elderhood, what, you know, what are the things, and Chris has asked this in that question about what is bedrock for you, but, you know, what is it that you really know at this point in your life, and how do you see your life as pilgrimage, or do you? Pilgrimage is, is in the sense of, you know, coming home to myself, or being able to use my best gifts. Um, I'm still working on that. I, I suspect I will work on that until my last breath. But as I was saying before, I know I can be a powerful person. I want to use the power to do good. <laughs> and I haven't always done good. Sometimes I've hurt other people. Sometimes I've mowed them down <laughs> with my big energy. That happens not so much anymore, gratefully. What do I know now? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I can allow myself to be ignorant. I used to be very certain about a lot of things, whether I was right or wrong about them. <laughs> now I'm much more comfortable not knowing and, and, and saying being I able don't. to out myself that way. Yeah. That's big. Yeah, yeah, it is big. Because there's a certainty that eights use as armor. Yes. Yeah, and so it's a way of going armorless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a liberation, actually, mm -hmm. to be able to say, I, I don't know. I'd like to find out, and I don't know. You know, I'd use the word pilgrimage in this uh, question I just asked, but I'm wondering, Cheryl, if there are other metaphors or images you might use to, to name your life, what it's been and what it will be. Uh, so there's a quote from the Talmud that says something like, you are not obligated to, the, to complete the task, neither are you free to desist from it. So I wouldn't say it's a pilgrimage or a calling, but I would claim it as my personal mission to be part of facilitating goodness for myself, for the other in the world. That feels satisfying the moments that I know that I'm, I'm part of that. As we come to a close, it, it, what comes up for me, Cheryl, is I wonder, um, as you've been reading poetry uh, in these last months, if there's a poem or if there's something you remember that you've read that sort of struck you, or if there's a final word that you might want to offer. You know, I reread that Mary Oliver poem. I think it's Wild Geese. Mm -hmm. And the last line of it is something you, you could, there was only one life that you could save. It's in the journey. Yes. In the journey. Okay. Yes. In the journey. Yeah. So I know that to be true for myself as a person. I also have developed that kind of humility as a therapist that I know I'm not going to be fixing anybody. I'm, inviting them into uh, a different space 
so they can maybe experience themselves differently. So yeah, I think I know that in my toes now that there's only one life you can save. That's a great thing to know. <laughs> what, a, what a gift. What a gift for yourself and for others to hear that. Cheryl, thank you for uh, being a guest today and, and sharing your wisdom and experience. It's been a delight to, uh, although I've known you for many years, just to engage with you in this other way. So I'm appreciative. Yeah, this turned out to be fun. <laughs> thank you for asking me. <laughs> thank you for your yes. I Yes. So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Chris. And I'm Sandra. And we invite you to continue to take a courageous and loving look at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University Program for Leadership and Character for their financial and institutional support. Sally Ann Morris, who created our theme music, and Logan Greenhall, who's been a great website guru for us. Also, thanks to Eric Merle for his quality editing expertise. Special thanks to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And of course, a big thank you to all of our guests. For more information about this podcast and how to get a copy of our book that serves as a companion for deepening personal and spiritual growth, visit heartoftheenneagram.com. And be sure to click the subscribe link so you don't miss an episode. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.